Someone left a nice card for me here. You notice in this first service, this is the score of our softball game this past week. Uh, the Green Pines was playing each other, and the disciples did not win, unfortunately. Apostles won. I don't know who did that. That's There were two brothers, John and David. John, in the 19th century, had his mind on wealth, and soon his hands got on wealth. He succeeded in his goals in becoming a wealthy man. His brother, David, had the opposite goals in life in in many ways. Um, He made a statement, a, a, a vow early in his life, and I quote David, he said, I will place no value on anything I have or possess unless it is in the relationship to the kingdom of God. And that became something he held on to. But if you were to look later on in the Encyclopedia Britannica a little bit after their life and look up John Livingston, it would simply state that, well, he is the brother of David Livingston. David Livingston, uh, those of you who may not know, did go on to be a missionary in Africa and a pioneer in Africa, uh, was not really known at all for his wealth, but more of an adventurous spirit uh, in uh, discovering new routes into Africa um, as he was trying to uh, make the missionary effort into Africa more accessible for Jesus Christ and those who were following him. Uh, And so you have two individuals. They went on their own way, and yet... The one who strived after wealth and prosperity got it, but yet did not get the impact uh, in the world that his brother did. I want to talk about two other individuals uh, that we find in the Bible in Genesis chapter 13. The two men are Abram and Lot. Up to this point in the story as we've studied Genesis, Lot has kind of taken a kind of a side role, peripheral Uh, to Abram. He's just kind of following along. His father died early in life. Uh, So the nephew Lot kind of just saddled saddled alongside of Abram. And wherever God called Abram, Lot would follow thereafter, uh, just kind of believing in the call of God up to this point in Abram's life. And, And at this time in Genesis 13, we start to see a divergence that takes place between Abram and Lot. And for chapter 13 and chapter 14, And then in chapter 19, you see a trilogy that occurs between Abram and Lot. And at the end of Lot's uh, life and recorded, it is a tragedy, a sad tale of how his life ended so poorly. At the beginning of 13, he is wealthy. He has uh, uh, many of the status symbols and investments of the day. At the end, he has nothing. In fact, at the end of his life, he loses his own wife. Uh, his loses all of his possessions, and he has two daughters, and their family ends up being extremely dysfunctional. So dysfunctional, I would say, uh, describe it this way, Lot's children were his grandchildren. You do the math figuring all that out, but his children were his grandchildren. Uh, safe to say it was dysfunctional. Uh, so that's the demise of Lot's life. His uncle Abram, of course, is known as uh, Abraham later on, the father of a multitude, as his name would come to mean, uh, the father of faith, as given to us in Hebrews 11, 
uh, refer to often, uh, a blessed man indeed, whose nations, nations do come after him. What, what's the difference between these two men who lived in the same context, grew up in the same way, uh, but yet ended their lives so drastically? Have you ever wondered that, how you can have children that are so different? Or maybe brothers and family members that are so different. You grew up in the same way, the same values that were instructed to you. But in the end of your life, it is vastly different. How does that happen? Well, what I want to do is kind of share uh, in chapter 13 two major forces at work that uh, seem to direct Abram one way and Lot another way. And so identifying, perhaps maybe we'll see them in our life and we can choose wisely based on uh, what's revealed in Genesis chapter 13. And so as we read this passage, we're going to begin in verse 5. Uh, 1 through 4 is kind of the repentant stage of Abram. He has made mistakes in Egypt. He has tried to accomplish uh, God's directives on his own terms, using his own wit, his exalted view of himself, diminished view of God. And he learns the lesson that pagan Pharaoh rebukes him. Tells them, go back to the land, to Canaan, get out of here. And in so doing, he's also uh, taking many spoils, many things given to him by Pharaoh. Uh, and so he has both Abram and Lot are very, very wealthy at this stage. And so that's where we find ourselves in verse 5. And we'll see the divergence that's made in this chapter. Uh, we'll learn the contrast of these two men and hopefully learn some contrast that we can also make in our life. And so as we read this, let's stand in honor of what we read together in chapter 13, beginning verse 5 through verse 18. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzites dwelled in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Does not the whole land before thee separate thyself, I pray thee, from me? If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right, or if thou wilt depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves, the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place which thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it, to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it, and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent, and came, and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. You may be seated. Verse 5 lets us know that Lot and Abram both have the status symbols of the day. Uh, the BMWs, the Mercedes, the, the mansions of the day. 
But in their terms, it's a little bit different. They were called camels and oxen and sheep. And those were the, the status symbols. And if you had female oxen uh, and camels and sheep, then you had something because then you could have a multiplying uh, income uh, in that. And, and so they, they are, uh, well, they're well-to-do in that day and time. So much so that money becomes a problem. And money will become a problem uh, eventually. Uh, it doesn't matter what time you live in. And so here they are. Lot, Abram, they need to have places to nourish their investments. They need to have lots of, of grass, lots of water, and because their flocks are so extensive, they just can't stay together. It's causing strife, causing problems among the herdsmen, and ultimately between Abram and Lot themselves. They're not able to be in unity together. And so there, there needs to be a solution. Abram comes together with the solution, and you see this in verse 7. There is a strife, he says, a strife between these two. Uh, and in verse 8, Abram makes a proposition. In this proposition, we learn a little bit about Abram. He says, please, let there be no strife between you and me, between my herdsmen and yours. We're brothers. He says, look, the whole land is before you. Separate from me. Choose the land you want. I'll choose the leftover. In, in essence, is what he is saying. You know, there's always strife. When you have people together... You're going to have problems. It doesn't matter who you are. Some people think, well, you know, if you're in a church, you ought not to have problems. That's just false. That's true. That's just untrue. Where you have people, you will have problems. When you have a family, you will have problems because there's people there. And the greater the intimacy, the more often the problem. As we're having to rub shoulders with one another, we realize that we're not perfect and we do not get along all the time. And so we see the case with Abram a lot. Just because he's the father of faith, just because he's a blessed man by God, does not mean he's exempt from interpersonal problems. And that's the case here. But notice how Abram deals with the interpersonal problems. He says, well, look, you know what? I don't want there to be strife, so I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that there's no strife. I'm going to give in uh, wherever it's needed. And if it doesn't work out, let's just separate. It's better for us to be separate than to continue on in this way. Uh, and this is a uncle to a nephew talking, not a, uh, a husband to a wife. And there's a difference in this. Uh, and so we, we look at this and we see the proposition. He, he just lays it all out for Lot. I mean, he gives him the choice, whatever he wants. It is a other-centered attitude in dealing with the solution and that's the first for, force we see working in abram's life is that abram has an over an other centered view in dealing with lot isn't that interesting he, he just came from a very self-centered perspective in dealing with sarah perhaps maybe he's learned a few lessons not as much as we'd like but he's learned some and so now he's developing an other centered life but notice how lot approaches this when lot sees this it's like his eyes open up it's like all right He's got choice. Now, if you ever given a choice like this to your children, you know that unless you have some accountability, they're not going to divide it in half. All right? The, the easy thing would have been to say, all right, let's go right down the Jordan River, split it in half. It's a natural barrier. You take one side, I'll take the other side. But notice what Lot does. Lot looks up his eyes and beholds all the plain of the Jordan. It's well watered. It's a beautiful place. And he chose him, verse 11, chose him all the plain of Jordan. In other words, all that was green, he takes. 
is, he does, this area is not dependent on rain. It's just irrigated by, by rivers. It's naturally uh, a kind of a lush area. He says, I want all of that. Isn't that just like us? We don't divide it in half. We, div- we get the best part. Our children know. They know when someone's about to get the best part. Uh, we were uh, eating some uh, Italian ices or a store over here, Rita's, and uh, brought a quart home and uh, my kids, they had already gotten a dose, and they were getting another dose. I was like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dip in with them, and, and got, a, got a cup uh, after they got their cup, you know. And, and one of them was like, you know, you got the bigger cup. I said, no, I don't. This is, this is not a bigger cup. I like, yes, it is a bigger cup. I said, well, you've already had another dose. It's okay if my cup's bigger, you know. Besides, it's all mine anyway. <laughs> you know, that's, always, that's always the trump card for, for our dad. It's, it's all mine anyway. You should be thankful you're getting any of it, you know. Uh, but they, they have intuitive uh, aspects of, of knowing what is equal, what is more. You see the same thing going on here with life. And by the way, a good way to deal with that is that you have one divided up and you have the other one choose, all right? That's a good way to deal with that when you've got kids that have to squabble over this. Uh, but that's not what happens. Lot gets the best stuff. Abram says, okay, whatever you want. Notice it says, Lot lifted his eyes. They light up, and then verse 11, he chose for himself. Self-centered. Self-centered. Abram approaches it. Whatever you want, you take it. Lot says, all right, whatever I want, I'll take. A self-centered view of dealing with life. We're going to see how this hurts Lot down the road. This land, you notice it's described in verse 10. It's like a garden. It's well watered. You see that at the beginning of verse 10. Everywhere. Like a garden, like the land of Egypt. But interspersed in the middle of that, Moses the writer put this little bit in. Yeah, it's pretty, but in parentheses, <laughs> before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. In other words, there's no surprise here. He's letting us know Lot's about to make a bad decision. Yes, it looks good. It appears nice, but it's going to end bad. Appearances are not all it's cracked up to be. But Lot learns the hard way. And so he, he chooses it. He goes there. And then we find in verse 12, Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan. This is the land promised to him by God. Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. Why was that phrase stated, even as far as Sodom? Well, he's letting us know that Lot's not trying to stay near Abram. Abram was the, was the person, the conduit of blessing in Lot's life. Lot is divorcing himself, getting away from that, and getting closer to Sodom, which the Bible describes in the next verse, 13, a place that was exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. You're going to find that as you study uh, this passage in Genesis, if you get to Genesis 13, then you go to 14, then 19, you'll find that Lot gets physically closer and closer to Sodom and Gomorrah and to, until you get to the point in chapter 19 where he has abandoned his tent and has kind of taken up an apartment in Sodom. He's no longer a sojourner, but a citizen in the city that is sinful against God. And what you have here is a kind of a type of, of, of Lot making a progression further and further away from God. Where did it start? Well, it started in just being selfish. Started in just being selfish. And you ask yourself, how does someone make these? I mean, surely Lot didn't wake up one day 
and say, you know what, I'm just going to go somewhere and lose it all, lose my wife, lose my kids, lose my position. I'm just going to lose it all and go against God. That's not what entered into Lot's mind. It was more of a progression of a slow digression away from God and toward sin. And you see that happening in your life. And, and so you, you say, how do you stop that? Well, I'm going to tell you that it, sometimes it stops in the small decisions of your life. I'm going to tell you, dads, I know, I understand, being a dad does not mean that you automatically are selfless. You know, we have that same mentality I've just said. It's all mine anyway. <laughs> you know what? You're just living here for a little while. You know, be thankful for what you get. And I have that mentality. I know that. I've seen it in my life. My kids will tell you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, dad always gets the best stuff, gets the biggest stuff. That's why I'm bigger, you know. And that's always my thought. But here's the thing. If I don't adopt somewhere in my life a mentality of being selfless and being other-centered, it's going to change my heart. My heart changes on the little decisions of life. Those little decisions that we think, oh, they're no big deal. But every little decision will either change us one way or the other. And so when those big decisions come, we're only going to reflect what, who we are at those points of time. Who we are is determined on those little decisions of how we live our life. And so I would say, yes, it's important for us to sacrifice from time to time in our life. It helps us to be other-centered and not self-centered. So let me ask you, how have you sacrificed for anybody in your life? How have you sacrificed for anybody today? Lot has a mentality of selfishness. But we keep on and we'll learn something else as we look. It's not just other-centered versus self-centered, but it's also the present versus the eternal. These two contrasts, the present versus the eternal, will determine much of who life becomes and who Abram becomes. We keep on reading. We find Lot's dwelling in the city. Abram, he goes and dwells in the land of Canaan, the dry, dusty area. Verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, notice, after Lot had separated from him. In other words, God's coming in and confirming in Abram's life because he has just let Lot make the choice parts of land. And, he, and he's coming now to reconfirm something to Abram. Lift your eyes now and look from the, from the place where you are. There's just an interesting parallel between verse 14 and verse 10. Lot lifted his eyes up and chose for himself. In verse 14, God tells Abram to lift up his eyes for what God is going to give him. And he looks northward, southward, eastward, and westward. And he says, for all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. Now, just think, uh, he is on the west side, or the, yeah, the west side of the Jordan River, uh, east side of Jordan River, that's where Lot's at. And he's saying, okay, look to the north, look towards Syria. Lebanon, look to the west, toward the Mediterranean, look toward the south, toward Egypt, look toward the east, which is toward Jordan River, toward the land that Lot just took. And he says, Abram, that land you see, that Lot is dwelling in, it's yours. I'm going to give it to you. He had already received this promise earlier in his life, in chapter 12, verse 3. Now it's reconfirmed to him. You see, Abram was operating not just on the present of what he could see, but he was also operating on what God would grant to them. And when he knew that God could grant to him 
land, it helped him to be generous. Listen, to be generous requires us to have an eternal perspective on life. If we think that life is all in the here and now, yes, we're going to fight for it. We're going we're gonna to hurt others for it because this is all we're going to get. But if we believe that there is an eternal kingdom that which we live for, it's okay for us to let things go in the present because we know there's more to come later on in life. It is a basis for generosity. In fact, Jesus kind of hit on this in, in his life as well. In Luke chapter 12, there, a man came up to Jesus Christ and he was dealing with inheritance. All right, and how many of you know that dealing with inheritance is not an easy thing? It's not a fun thing. In fact, it's often filled with family squabbles. All right, well, here you have it in Luke chapter 12. A man comes up to Jesus and has that same problem. Verse 13 says, One of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. In other words, my brother's not doing it equally. Jesus, can you tell him, just make it straight. Um, he's telling on him, all right? He's telling on him to Jesus. And, and Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? In other words, I'm not touching this. He says, that's not the real problem. The real problem is your heart, your attitude. Verse 15, he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. Covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not and the abundance of the things which he possesses. In other words, your life is not any better because you have this vase. All right? Your life is not any better because there's more land in your name. The world says, yes, those who have more land, more money in the accounts, more stock options, more of this, more boats, more houses, your life is better. But Jesus is saying that's not true because life is not made up in the abundance of things. That's something for me to realize. Just that all these little things that I take value and I think, oh, this is so neat, I like to look on it. That's all the joy I'm going to get up. All right? It's not going to do me any good when I'm dying. And it's probably not going to do my children much good except for them to fight over it. That's something we've got to understand and realize that life is not about the abundance of things. And he goes on and tells a parable about this. About a rich man, he had, he had plenty uh, and he had more crops coming in. He asked, what am I going to do with all the investments that are coming in? I know what I'll do. I'll build new barns so I have places to put these things and to enjoy my fruits. And I'll tell myself, soul, thou hast many good things laid up for many years. Take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, find total satisfaction in the things that come in my life. And God says to him, Thy fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. When Then whose shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Here you have Lot simply making investments that are short-term, that are quick, that are easy, that are immediate in its impact. Abram, he's dependent on something else. He's dependent on the promise of God. Verse 15, all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. That's important phrasing. That's something that hits home with Abram. If Lot took the lush green area, where did it, what did Abram take? The dry area, the dusty area. Abram is sitting in dust. Everything around him is dusty. His hands is dusty. His face is dusty. His feet is dusty. And, and God says to him, all this dust, 
I'll make as your descendants, as the dust of the earth. So that if a man could, could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through, it, through its length, its width, for I give it to you. As far as you can see, I will give to you. As much as you can count, you'll be blessed with descendants. And as far as you can walk, it belongs to you. Now, here's something you need to understand. Abram, in his lifetime, never realized the promise. He never realized the promise. Abram was living on hope. He was living on hope. You know, when, he, when his wife died, Sarah, his, his beloved wife, the Bible says that he went near this land, near Mamre, near Hebron, and had to purchase a plot of land so that he could bury his wife in. You say, well, wait a second. How come Abram had to purchase some land? Because he had no land. Well, are you saying that God's not true here? I mean, God said that he would be blessed. He would be blessed. His descendants would be blessed. It would be many hundreds of years still before his family came. What was Abram living on then? He was living on the hope that was based on the promise of God that one day these things would come true, and not only would the land come true, the descendants would come true, that out of his descendants would be one whom all the nations would be blessed. And his hope was in the promises of God. He had nothing, nothing to hold on to. You know what that is? That's what you call the eternal perspective. That's not the present. That's not the here and now. That is trusting and believing in what God would do. In fact, Hebrews uh, chapter 11 uh, phrases it this way in verse 10. He says that Abram looked for a city which had foundations whose builder and maker is God. He wasn't looking for Sodom. He was longing for a heavenly city. He said, that's, that's what I'm going to put my hope in. And the values of the eternal is what's going to shape my life today. Last week we, were, uh, we had a layover in Vienna um, as on our way back. And I thought, well, you know, how many times are you ever in Vienna? And so we, we took a tour uh, of the city. And, and uh, of the tour, one of the things that was repeated over and over again was, the water here is great. Good water. Some kind of underground springs. you got the Danube River nearby, but the underground springs and everything else, is, we just have great water. And yet, after a while, you start hearing it enough, you're, like, you're kind of curious. You're like, you know, I, I kind of like to try out this, this water. Yeah? And, and one of the cardinal rules when you're traveling is you don't drink the water. But, you know, I was, I was really getting tempted. It was uh, later in the night. We had a, a late meal, and I was thirsty. And uh, they put out in front of my plate a, a nice, clean, crystal glass with clear water. And I said, is this, is this the water? He's like, yeah, this is the water. I said, man, I can, I can, I can try the water. I drank the water. I said, man, this is good water, you know. <laughs> yeah, everything they said is true. I guzzled the whole glass down, asked for refills, and somewhere midway in the second glass, I, th- I thought to myself, you know, this is good water, but it's not the water I'm used to. And it doesn't matter how good the water is, if I'm not used to it, it's got bacteria and stuff that my body just can't handle. But I thought, you know what, I've already gone this far, I've finished the rest of the glass. <laughs> it's, like, it's already done, you know, it's already done, I might as well just enjoy what's, what's here, you know. Well, the next morning, I woke up and my stomach was gurgling. It took about four or five days and I finally got clear of whatever was in that water. You know, 
Uh, I'm thinking, you know, that was good water, but I don't think I would repeat that, that activity, all right? It wasn't worth the price. What, what happened? I drank water that wasn't of my home. That's what happened. You know what the scripture is telling us here? It's saying that Lot drank the water of this world. He saw the, the, the profit. He saw the lushness. He saw the benefits of the city, though it be wicked. And he said, I want to drink some of that. And he drank it down to its dregs. And he paid a price. A dear price. And I think that if Lot could sit here today with you, he would say to you, don't drink the water. Don't be appealed by the prophets found in this world. Don't be appealed by the cultural beauties of this world. Yes, they're beautiful for a season, but I paid a dear price. You were not made for this world. Abraham said, I will refrain from drinking this water. If need be, I will stay in my tent. I will believe when God tells me that every land that I see will belong to my descendants, and I will long and I will look forward to that day, and I will have faith in a Redeemer who will come from my descendants. These are the things that I hope in, not whether I have enough land around And so, fathers, it's still the question of this day. If we're not careful, we'll let the allure of the professional world, of the sports world, or any other hobby that we might have, and it will provide great benefits, beauty. But I'm going to tell you, if you base your life on that, it will take you to a place that you do not want to go. Lot, at the end of his life, had no wife, a dysfunctional children, and all the things that he worked toward were no more. Abraham, well, he's still mentioned and revered among all of the world. God has blessed him in many ways. So let me ask you, what will be the choices that you make? Will you choose yourself over others? Will you choose the short and now the immediate results over the eternal values that you could be living for? How do, you, how do you know when you're living for eternity? How do you know when you're living for others? How's that played out? Well, let's look and see Abram's life. Verse 18. After hearing this promise of the Lord, being reminded, then Abram moved his tent, went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. Let me just say to you, here's one way you know that you're living for the eternal and that you're living for others. You build an altar to the Lord. You worship God. Now, I'm not talking about you go in your backyard and start constructing something, all right? What does that mean to build an altar Lord? In other words, there is an attitude, a priority of worship in your life. In your life. You say, okay, well, you know, I'm doing good. I'm here on Father's Day. I'm, I'm you know, I'm in church. I'm, I've made the sacrifices. I got up early. That doesn't mean necessarily that you're building an altar to the Lord. This is something that you do in your heart, that you do in your life. You could come to church. But your life may not necessarily be characterized by worship of the Lord. That is a heart description. There's a heart attitude 
that is be a lifestyle in your life. You could come to church, that would be a good thing. But listen, what is needed here is a family worship. A family worship. A time where you, your wife, your children, they see you making the Lord a priority in how you live your life. Yes, that means your daily time, that there's a devotion that you take to set aside in your day where you will say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reflect and I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek God's counsel. I'm going to read the word of God. I'm going to pray for my family. There is a time daily that you build into your life. That's a part of it. But you know, I found it's even more than that. It's not just whether or not you spend 15 minutes a day praying to yourself or praying to the Lord by yourself. It's not whether or not you come to church on Sundays. It is a lifestyle. In other words, it's, it's much more harder. It's much more of giving of yourself and how you live. I'm trying to teach my kids how to serve one another. Have you ever done that? It's hard. Because I found that you can't just tell them, hey, stop, stop working for yourself and start serving one another. It doesn't work. Like, well, what does that look like, Daddy? What does that mean? And I asked myself, well, how does Jesus, how did he do that? He had the same problem with the disciples. Well, I thought, you know what Jesus did? <laughs> yeah, he told them, but he took on the servant's cloth, bent and washed their feet. Oh, man. Yeah, maybe what we need to do is wash our children's feet, wash our family's feet. Maybe you want to do that today. You can make that a symbolic thing. But it's, it's much more than that. I had to ask myself, what can I sacrifice? What can I sacrifice for the benefit of my kids? What can I sacrifice for my wife? How am I going to show my family that I'm a servant? And that's not just talk. And that's your lifestyle before your family. And yeah, you can muster up a little bit of a of, uh, holy appearance on Sunday morning. But when you're doing it with your family, man, they see me all the time. You know? I can't just work that up. That's something the Lord does in our life. It does in our heart. So when we talk about building an altar before the Lord, of worship before the Lord, what I'm asking us is that we as individuals, as fathers and mothers, will say, you know what? I want to make the Lord a priority. He will be a driving force in how I make decisions. That my family knows that the Lord is important. And therefore, they are important because I will put them first. I think about sacrifices my family made in various ways. Worship was not something that we did because it was Sunday, just because it's church time. When we went on vacation, (laughs) we worshiped the Lord. We'd find somewhere to worship the Lord. Every once in a while, we'd be in such a remote place, no churches around. So we just have worship right there in our motel room, our camper, or wherever we're at. But it wasn't just on Sundays. It was the, the times when we got together with, with our grandparents. And every time I left my grandparents, my granddad would once all hold hands and say, let's pray. And I, man, I was a squirmy nine-year-old. And he prayed for everybody and every issue that he knew about in everybody's life. And it was a long prayer. But you know what? He did it every time. But one of the things that, that hit me is that he prays for me. He didn't just pray for me when I was there. 
He prayed for me every morning. Him and Grandma would get together with their Bible and, and pray for all the family. But it wasn't just these little things like that. It was how they made decisions. They would forego money. They would forego convenience. Because they knew it was what God wanted them to do. Every time they made a decision where they sacrificed so that they could honor the Lord or they could help someone else, they were putting another stone on the altar. I'd find out things later on of, of what my granddad would do of, of giving, grabbing gifts to people. He never told anybody. And I'd find these things out, and it's like granddad still, even after he died, had take a stone and put on the altar and say, worship the Lord. Call upon the name of the Lord. My grandmother with, with granddad would not go out with him to a dance because he wasn't a believer. <laughs> that, that provoked some questions in granddad's life. Ultimately, it helped, one of the things that helped him come to the Lord. But when I, when I that stand, I looked back on the stand and grandma was building an altar. There she did not know her children or her grandchildren. She was building an altar of worship to the Lord. It is an eternal perspective to do things not because of the immediate gratification, not because it's convenient, but to do things because you know that God has asked you to do these things, and this is part of honoring the Lord. You do these things for Him, for others, and you build an altar. Let me ask you, how, guys, have you sacrificed? How have you sacrificed for your family? Today, last week, it's a tough question. Because if you're like me, it's amazing how long you can go without ever sacrificing. That's the question that we've got to ask. But let's look at this in another perspective. Let's consider how Lot treats Abram. In many ways, Abram is representative of the Lord. It is through his line that the Redeemer will come. Lot belittles Abram. He gives him the leftovers. In so doing, he gives the leftovers to the Redeemer and his family. Do we treat Jesus that same way? Jesus opens up the door for us. He says, you can choose. You can choose one way or the other. You can choose me or choose your world. Do we say, okay, God, I don't want to totally abandon you, but I don't want to give you the best either. I want to live how I want to live make all the right things for me, then God, you get the leftovers. I remember that was one of my attitudes growing up. God, let me have my college years. Let me have that age 18 to 22 years. And let me just live however way I want to. And then whenever I have kids, okay, God, I'll give you those years. Perhaps maybe we do that not only with our time and years, perhaps we do that with our resources as well. Are we giving God the leftovers? Why don't we let Jesus make that choice? Let him be honored in our lifestyle. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us as we read this passage to make the right choice. That when we choose a self-centered mode versus other-centered, Lord, that you'd help us to choose you and so doing, choose others. Lord, when we look at the immediate 
the present reality versus the eternal reality. Lord, help us to have faith and trust in you, believing in what you said, and to choose you. Lord, understanding that there is a beauty in the things that are here and now, enjoying it for the here and now, but never, ever letting it preempt our life for the eternal. So, Lord, that we will choose and enjoy our, our ice cream, air conditioning, and the nice things of this world. But, Lord, let it not be so that it overshadows the eternal treasure that we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us to honor you, not to give you the leftovers, but let you make the choice, the best of who we are. It's yours, Lord. And Lord, if you want the worst of who you are, of who we are, it's yours too. Change us, make us into your image, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen.